0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you, beloved, from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text is the Epistle Lesson, and again, the title is Knowledge and Love. I should probably underline that word, and. Knowledge and Love. Dear friends in Christ, I'm sure you remember in the Gospels, where one of the teachers of the law came up to Jesus with this question, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? And Jesus answered, the most important one is this. He quoted Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then he went on. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then Jesus added the second one is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself." And then he said, there is no commandment greater than these. Now in saying this, Jesus was very clear. We'd say the words crystal clear. Yet somehow, somehow that got all turned around in Corinth. Knowledge, not love, took center stage. Knowledge, not love. And the results were disastrous. Now, friends, two weeks back, we heard Paul address a different problem in Corinth. The problem of sexual sins manifest among some of the believers in Corinth. And we heard how basically these believers defended their action by knowledge, by using knowledge. All things are lawful to for me, they said. And as you probably know from other sermons on 1 Corinthians, this problem was only the tip of the iceberg. The Corinthian congregation faced lots and lots of other challenges and issues and problems. Now this morning, I'm not going to go through a list of all of those, but just to say that the basic problem can be traced back here, the problem of knowledge. The Corinthians thought that they possessed knowledge. They thought that what they knew was true and right. And all of that was getting in the way of them reflecting, revealing, showing, manifesting the grace of God in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in this dark world of sin. So my friends, this morning let's consider first what genuine knowledge is. And second, what genuine knowledge is not. And third, how genuine knowledge and genuine love are tied closely together. They're connected together. And they will produce a concern for all. Whether they are strong in faith, weak in faith, or have no faith. So first, let's consider what genuine knowledge is. Now in our text, this is not the kind of knowledge that puffs up as St. Paul wrote which isn't really knowledge of a gospel, the knowledge of the good news of salvation found in God's Son. My friends, you and I and all people need that kind of knowledge, that knowledge of the gospel. So remember Zechariah, Zechariah, the aged father of the Baptist, John the Baptist. Remember how after John was born, after he was named and circumcised, Zachariah's mouth was opened. It was loose, And immediately, Zechariah praised God. And he said this about knowledge. He spoke about the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. The knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. Also, the Apostle Peter wrote about that in his second letter to believers. He urged them, grow in the grace and knowledge, and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And in spite of what Paul writes here in our text about knowledge, Paul commended knowledge earlier in this letter. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5, he wrote, "...in Christ you have been enriched in all your knowledge." In all your knowledge. So again, you and I and all people need such knowledge need genuine knowledge, need to hear and heed and hold to that message proclaimed by the one God promised through Moses. That's in the Old Testament lesson for today. Deuteronomy chapter 18. I urge you to read that text at home. As God moved Moses to speak about this prophet who was to come, he's Jesus Christ. There in the Gospel lesson preaching and teaching with power and authority. That kind of knowledge is a good kind of knowledge. So again, the knowledge of the Gospel, of Jesus Christ, the knowledge of the forgiveness of sins in Jesus, the knowledge of salvation in Jesus, all of this is good. And this kind of knowledge doesn't lead us to be puffed up. It moves us to be humble before God, humble before men. It's the foundation of faith, and it makes us happy when we get to hear and receive that grace and glory that's revealed by God in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. And this kind of knowledge puts into us a love for God and a love for other people. But second, there is a kind of knowledge that does puff up And this is a knowledge that's a completely different kind of knowledge. It's the kind of knowledge that really stems back in Eden, the fall into sin, which was sadly also evident among some in that Corinthian congregation. So Paul wrote about this and specifically addressed that when he responded to a question sent to him, a question sent to him about eating food, literally meat, eating meat, offered to idols. So, in our text, when Paul wrote, all of us possess knowledge. All of us possess knowledge. Once again, Paul was quoting a slogan. A slogan popular among the Corinthians. Now, we heard another slogan a couple of weeks back. You remember that one? All things are lawful for me, the Corinthians were saying in result of sexual sins. All things are lawful for me. So today we have another one, a new one before us. All of us possess knowledge. And again, again, as with those sexual sins being so much a part of that culture in which the Christians in Corinth found themselves, so here too with the problem about knowledge. Knowledge to many Corinthians was more important than anything else. The people of Corinth craved knowledge more than anything else. We can't really relate to that like they did back then. And possessing knowledge became a source of pride and looking down on others. Even looking down on God and what God said. Now sadly, we could see that today in some who have gone through our parochial school and some who have attended our inquirers class here. In these classes, they get a whole bunch of knowledge, a whole bunch of knowledge. They learn a whole lot about Jesus and about Christianity. And that knowledge, of course, is to lead them to do what? To love God, to love the things of God, to love God's people. But sadly, in some, we see them seldom or ever coming to God's house and listening to God's word and attending Bible classes or gathering for Christian fellowship. And should someone go and speak about their concern over that, we're going to hear an answer based in knowledge. In knowledge. Yeah, I know all of that stuff about Jesus and the gospel and all of that stuff, but then they show little love. Little love for God, for God's house, for God's word, and for God's people. This too could happen when our young people go off to college or university, exposed to all of that supposed advanced knowledge, learning, study. They graduate with an advanced degree, but they graduate without faith, without their Christian faith intact. Now, that kind of knowledge isn't knowledge. It's not knowledge. It's not knowledge rooted in Jesus Christ, knowledge rooted in the Gospel, the forgiveness of sins and salvation. Paul made that clear in our text for this morning. He wrote, If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Again, to know as one ought to know is to know Jesus Christ, God's Son, the grace and glory that God gives in him. It's to know Him as the forgiveness of sins, the source of forgiveness, the source of salvation. But this kind of knowledge that isn't knowledge elevates self over God, over God's Word. And results, they're elevated over others. So that right knowledge of Christ brings faith. That right knowledge of Christ brings a love for God and a love for other people. And as Paul wrote in this text, that love builds up. That love builds up. And that leads us to the third point, that genuine love and genuine knowledge are tied together. I'm sure you know, just like most people know, even those not part of the Christian faith know what's called the great love chapter of the Bible. You know that one, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the great love chapter of the Bible. It's only five chapters after our text. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul writes about that love that builds up, although he used different words. He wrote about a love that's patient and kind, a love that doesn't envy or boast, a love that's not rude or arrogant. And there in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is really writing about the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. A love of God in Christ that did not fail. It took Jesus all the way to the cross. And still today, the love of God in Christ Jesus doesn't fail. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul wrote about love much more simply. Much more simply. He just wrote. Love builds up. Love builds up. Think about those words. Love builds up. With those words builds up, I'm reminded of what Jesus preached about in the Sermon of the Mount. There Jesus preached, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built. A wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. So, if we hear Jesus, if we know Jesus is God's Son, our Savior, if we love Jesus as God's Son who came to earth to suffer, bleed, die, and rise again to save us, We are going to love him. And we're going to build our lives on what he says, on his word. So here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul wasn't pitting genuine knowledge against genuine love. Rather, Paul's writing uh, writing against the knowledge that's really no knowledge at all. A knowledge that's kind of coming out of Eden, out of eating that forbidden fruit. A knowledge that has no connection with love, love for God and love for others, but instead is connected to sin and pride and arrogance and conceit. Paul was exposing the knowledge that puffs up a person and has a selfish disregard for others, even for God. For Paul tells us if anyone loves God, he is known by God. If anyone loves God, he is known by God. To be known by God means to belong to God. To be known by God means being, God, being God's child. It means standing in a right relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. It means having the Spirit, having faith, having the forgiveness of sins. And this love of God in Christ Jesus builds us up. It gives us new life, new attitudes, new affections. The love of God in Christ Jesus actually puts into us a love for God. A love for the things of God, which includes God's Word. A love for the things that God loves. A love for the things that God loves. Thus, a love for the neighbor. The neighbor. Whether that neighbor is inside or outside the faith. Whether that neighbor is strong in faith or weak in faith. And that brings us to the specific issue that Paul addressed here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, food, actually meat offered in sacrifice to idols. If you lived in Corinth, virtually all the meat available for consumption had previously been sacrificed in worship in an idol temple. And this meat could be consumed in one of two ways, just like us going down to the store, in their case, the meat market, buying some meat and taking it home to be cooked and eaten. That's one way. But archaeologists have also discovered that dining halls, dining halls were connected to, were adjoining idol temples. So the animal would be sacrificed over in the idol temple proper, and then some of the meat would be brought over cooked, and then served and consumed in those dining halls. And so, in this congregation in Corinth, in general, all Christians could purchase this meat, but especially those with wealth, those who worked in government, perhaps those who owned their own businesses. They could be invited to dine in the halls connected to these idol temples. And this posed a particularly difficult question. What should I do as a believer? I know that an idol is nothing. I know the one true God, and I know Jesus Christ whom he has sent. So, can I use this as an opportunity to go and eat and then tell the good news about Jesus to the people there who don't know about him? That, of course, is what we as Christians want to do. That's One of the reasons God leaves us here on earth to tell others the good news about Jesus, to reveal that great and glorious light that's found in Jesus. Paul, in his letter here, also addressed another concern, the weak in faith. The weak in faith. Now here, Paul's not being judgmental, but he's just simply stating reality, stating a fact. In Corinth there would be some that were recently converted to Judaism. Out of this idolatry, maybe recent converts who had once themselves been active in this idol worship. In other words, temple workers. Perhaps former priests of these false gods, these false idols. Perhaps former pro- temple prostitutes. To these Christians, it would be unthinkable. Unthinkable to have any association at all, any connection at all with idolatry. Now, my friends, this is a very difficult concept for us to get our heads around. In our day, there's really no modern-day equivalent. Perhaps you might think, though, about a recent convert to Christianity out of Judaism Or out of Islam? Inviting this person to eat at your home, would you serve them pork? No. Or think about a convert to Christianity, a recovering alcoholic. Would you offer such a person a drink? No. Or think about, for you younger people, goth. A convert to Christianity out of that goth culture, you know, dressing all in black, black makeup, black hair? Would you yourself wear black, all black in their presence? No. That would all be unloving. So here Paul sets before the Corinthians, especially before those Christians in Corinth who are puffed up in their supposed superior knowledge, he also sets before us the right way. The way of genuine knowledge and genuine love. The way of Jesus. The way of the gospel. The way for us to reveal to show and manifest the grace and glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in this dark world. So here, the question should not be about knowledge. What do I know is right? What are my rights? The question should be connected with love. How can I, as a believer, best show my love for God by showing love for my neighbor? Now that, of course, is what Jesus did. He knows everything. He is omniscient God, yet he loved and loved and loved. He loved so much that he left heaven to seek and to save the lost. Jesus loved and he was sent to serve. Sent to serve. Kids, does that sound familiar? The theme for the National Lutheran School Week that just concluded. Jesus was sent to serve just like our kids were taught. They are sent to serve. We are taught. We are sent to serve to serve. Jesus loved us in our weaknesses. When we were weak, Christ died for the ungodly. And so my friends, hear the law of God one more time. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law. Hearing the law... No doubt you see your sins and your weaknesses. Right? Right. You know the law, but you know you have not fulfilled the law. Right? Right. The main purpose of the law is to show you and show me my sins. To move us to repent, to move us to be ready to hear and believe that gospel about our Savior who loves He knows everything and loves and serves and saves you and me. That's the gospel. Genuine knowledge and genuine love point you and me and all people to Jesus, to his cross, to Jesus completely loving his Father and completely loving you and me, even to the point of giving his life on the cross. And that genuine knowledge, that genuine love, puts into us a love for God and a love for our neighbor. Still here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul wasn't writing that Christians are called to lay down their lives for those who are weak in faith. Just not to eat meat. Just not to eat meat. Because they w- would be concerned with the weak in faith stumbling and falling, faith. falling from the faith. Again, this is a difficult concept for us because we don't have a modern day equivalent equivalent, so it's hard for us to make application. So let's think of this in relation to the season in which we are in, the season of epiphany. Epiphany, of course, is about Jesus, the great glory that he reveals in this dark world of sin. But epiphany also concerns us. It concerns God's people, about us living our lives as Christians, speaking about Jesus, revealing the grace and glory that's found in Jesus, witnessing and telling the good news about Jesus. Now for a moment, don't think about those who are weak in faith. Think about those who are even weaker. Those who have no faith. Those who right now are on that road that will end up in eternal death and destruction. Eternal death and destruction. And you... Dear believer, you have a truth that can change that, that can bring to them eternal life. Right now in these United States, you and I can't be killed, executed for living our Christian faith, living our Christian life, for witnessing and telling others about Jesus. So we open our mouths so that we might speak an eternally important thing to tell the good news about Jesus so that the people around us might believe along with us and be saved for us for all eternity. The Gospel shows us our Savior. And the Gospel gives to us a genuine knowledge and a genuine love. And now we see our neighbor as one for whom Christ died. Whether that neighbor is strong in faith, weak in faith, or has no faith. So may God the Father open our eyes that we might see the many opportunities that we have to serve him by serving our neighbor around us. In Jesus' name, amen.